This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schilling-Ford coming to you from the Urban Cabins studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. On Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. You want to just tell us who you are? Sure. My name is Tom Wyatt Yurka. I uh, live here in Minneapolis. Uh, I work uh, as a healthcare recruiter. I uh, previously was a DFL-nominated candidate for uh, what was then uh, District 16A in Southwest Minnesota, which uh, included my hometown of Marshall. Um, I'm a grad of the U of M Twin Cities. I, I did my senior thesis on the uh, historical evolution of political parties. And uh, in my free time, I just love to you know take my dogs for a walk, hike along the Minnehaha Falls and uh, you know attend some DSA meetings. So thanks for having me on, Nick. Yeah, that sounds great. I- probably might even live uh, close to each other because that sounds like <laughs> all that sounds all like uh, good stuff uh, minnehaha falls is not too far from me um yeah do you want to before we get to the socialist party stuff do you just want to talk quick about your um previous run for office just quick kind of like what that was like how that went running in a like you know traditionally more conservative uh mm-hmm. place and then kind of how what the result of that was right right so uh, to kind of give you some backstory on uh, when and and why I decided to run, uh, my family really since moving to to Marshall has been when I was uh, going into to first grade back, uh, oh geez, uh, twenty plus years ago now. Um, right. I uh, they were very in, involved in in local politics, progressive politics, um, from from the moment we got there, and so I kind of had that that ingrained in me growing up we we also owned a restaurant that was a really vital part of the community downtown and so i'd gotten to lot know a lot of folks uh around town and, and the surrounding communities so when i was uh graduating from the u uh about a year before that two years and uh the 2016 election i had the opportunity to uh manage the campaign of a you know, longtime progressive activist for the area. His name is Al Cruz. Um, he had run numerous times for for that seat, in addition to some other county level positions, and you know, served on some boards there. And so, after having that experience, I decided, hey, why not? You know, throw my hat in the ring, try and uh, inject some new life and uh, generate right. some enthusiasm around a you know political party unit that. Um, let's be honest, didn't really get that much attention from the state party um, and was aging rapidly and was having some trouble bringing, bringing young folks in and uh, diversifying their, their base. So I really looked at it not necessarily as an opportunity to, to win that election. I, I saw right. coming in the writing on the wall, but uh, you know, through that process, we were able to um, really legitimize our area as a as a center of power in Southwest Minnesota for the statewide DFL. The argument that we tried to make really, and, and we're successful in making is, hey, you need to pay attention to us because, um, because uh, we're a vital part to electing your candidates up ballot. We know we don't have a chance locally, but 
you need our 40%, right? Right. Uh, so uh, through that, we were able to nudge them a bit to the left because uh, we also had the freedom to really dictate our our own policy. And uh, I'll, I'll challenge you to to find someone more progressive than, uh, than a socialist farmer. Uh, so uh, we were really able to, to kind of push our message and, uh, you know, establish a, an office in the area. Um, diversify the party and get a lot of new folks involved in the political process, um, not necessarily under a, a political banner, because um, most of them don't really care about the party. I'll be honest, uh, meaning that the DFL, they sure. they're there because uh, local folks are are speaking to to their interests. So, um, yeah, I decided to run that campaign really to try and, and help organize in the area. Um, of course, I lost. <laughs> that was no right. surprise to me going into it, but we really got our message across and um, I'm, I'm very proud to have have helped the other other candidates running that year as well as, you know, establish some some roots in that area going forward for for the progressive movement. Right. And I like the way that you framed that, I guess, because, you know, a lot of times these and I, even in my framing to start the question, it's kind of framed as, um, you know, these voters don't support this party or don't support this politician or aren't, you know, doing this. But the way that you kind of started that out was, you know, this was an area that in a lot of ways had been neglected by, Mm -hmm. well, the, you know, historically maybe by progressives or by the DFL, um, as far as like specifically diving into what are the needs and concerns there that we should be thinking about. Right. And is that kind Mm -hmm. of, it sounded like the way you were. And I think that's a good way to to look at uh politics do you so uh, you and i met at this uh um dsa uh little kind of semi-debate uh event uh which mm-hmm. was specifically looking at the idea of um the potential for forming a socialist party uh in minnesota and you were one of the people at that event uh from what i recall that was the kind of the most vocal not only that you know forming a socialist party is completely possible and necessary, but also that, you know, right now might be the time and could be the best time to, uh, to do something like that. Do you want to just talk a little bit about um, kind of the reasons you gave for that at the event and also, you know, why this might be that time? Yeah, of course. And, and to jump off of what you just uh, mentioned too uh, about, you know, the, the folks in, in some neglected communities, being overlooked by by political parties, I would say that goes both ways. Um, we we all know what it takes to what, what it feels like to be taken advantage of by right. a political party and be taken for granted, right? Mm-hmm. So with that comes not really listening to your to your issues, which is why you know more populist candidates have been been pretty popular in those areas. But exactly um, <clears throat> circling back to your question there on on, on why. You know, now may be a good time to start the formation for a, um, you know, statewide uh, democratic socialist party. Um, really, it, it comes down to three things. You have uh, a timing, strategy and, and philosophy. So let's talk about timing first. Uh, the the timing right now is pretty ideal because first and foremost, the. Uh, Minnesota is is fairly unique in the fact that it allows for three major parties to be on the ballot. 
And the way that they designate those major parties is, is not set in stone. They don't have those three major parties written out. You have to, in order to qualify, reach a certain threshold percentage of votes across the state. Right. This past election was the, the first time in quite a while that no third party reached that threshold. So currently we can view it as being an, an open slot, an open opportunity to get on the ballot statewide and legitimize uh, the democratic socialist movement as something to be taken seriously and to be listened to um, not just by voters, but by the powers that be within both parties. Right. And, and to let them know that we're here. The, the other piece of that is, is the setting. Minnesota, as, as we all know, has a long history of um, socialist and populist movements. We have had the most successful third party in the history of the United States with the, the Farmer Labor Party. Um, back when the, when that was merged, um, after having a really successful couple of decades during the 20s, 30s, and into the 40s, um, after they they merged with the the Democratic Party, we we kind of saw a lull nationwide of of support for liberal um, and, and progressive policies. Right now, we're in a moment where they're more popular than they have been in a hundred years. So we really have the opportunity to build upon that history of successful organizing electoral campaigns and, you know, let's face it, winning at the end of the day Right. Um, that, that Minnesota has, has really laid a framework for. So that I, I would say is the, um, the timing aspect of, of why we can really see this as a, as a good moment. In addition, we we can kind of slip under the radar a little bit here. Uh, there's no upcoming up ticket, uh, you know, meaning gubernatorial on down mm-hmm. uh, statewide elections this next time. So you have a good opportunity to, let's say, work in the minor leagues for, for those elections, right. really compete at the local level and build out the framework for for some more statewide campaigns. Um of course, that comes with uh, identifying folks to to manage and and to run, right? Uh, which is right. a whole other other conversation. But um, yeah, is that's that... really I, I would say kind of goes into the the strategy. But right, essentially, I... that takes away that you know, of course, you know, the ammunition that uh, you know certain Democrats are going to use right away as the like spoiler piece or whatever. So it kind of takes away some of that. Uh, that ammunition of like, you know, you're trying to undermine the left wing or something, you know, supposedly in, in, in the state, if, mm-hmm. you know, so you can focus on those, like you said, those uh, other um, campaigns. Is that, is that kind of part of it too? Or Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, as we've seen, you know, in, in Minneapolis and, and St. Paul um, and, you know, even in, in places like, uh, like Robbinsdale where the, the DSA has had support, um, and and in getting folks elected to local city council offices, um, we have an opportunity to expand that locally. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And at the same time, um, start to build up, build a framework and organization for for competing at a at a statewide level because that doesn't happen overnight uh, as well. Right, and like you know, kind of to bring the whole um, 
conversation full circle. I believe that it's been a while since that uh, debate, but I believe the second part of the, uh, there was like kind of a couple of questions that were posed was about, um, you know, how you would go about, you know, uh, running that campaign. And maybe, you know, I know we discussed kind of what, you know, people thought we should focus on or how we should focus on that, you know, Mm -hmm. thinking about that, but also about some of the things you were hearing when you were campaigning before, what do you see as the big, um, you know, focuses of a, of a progressive or democratic socialist campaign? What, what kinds of issues and framing of those do you think is going to be uh, necessary to connect with people and, and win these kinds of elections? Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm kind of hearing, you know, you know, two parts of that question right. from you, Nick. So the <clears throat> first part, I'll, I'll they may really not be answer. the same. Yeah. Yeah. Course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think they're, they're both important, you know, um, the, the first piece of that that I'm hearing from you is, you know, how do we build out a framework? How do we attract new folks to the cause? How do we, we build out in areas where we haven't, you know, really had the presence, um, what this does, I, I would say, is as a, as a positive, right? Is gives us some some earned media, some some free media that we don't have to pay for, mm-hmm. uh, because you're going to make some headlines, right. and with that comes a, a sense of legitimacy among voters. So, the the other piece that I I would note is that more than more than anything, I would say a a political party represents to to lay people meaning you know people that aren't involved in politics every day that don't have these type of conversations all the time right it it presents an easy pathway and a clear pathway to become involved Mm -hmm. so if we're able to present that people want an outlet right now they want to be they're angry right they're they're upset about the the way things are going and they want an outlet to express that um, that has a, a tangible result and something that they feel they can organize their friends, their neighbors around and have the backing of a larger group that's, that's clearly laying out their, their cause. Right. So I think that goes to, to mm-hmm. the strategy element of, of why it's important to, um, to consider that now. And, <clears throat> and the, the second piece I heard from you, Nick is, um, you know, what types of causes, uh, rallying pieces we, we can right. build upon. Right. Those, um, those, you know, how can, yeah, broad, you know, broad, like you said, to bring people in stuff that we can all get, you know, organized around and might unite people in sort of differing backgrounds or areas, but yeah, continue. Sorry. No, no worries. I, I appreciate mm-hmm. the the comments here and and feel free to, to stop me at any time. I'm a little oh, long winded. Yeah. So interject oh, no, whatever you want. Um, and um, so, so the philosophy aspect, some of what I was pushing during, during the campaign that, that I was on back in, in 2018, um, you know, even going back to, to 2016 and before the number one thing we were hearing from people was a public option for healthcare. Mm. And finally, we're, we're seeing bills introduced to address that during this legislative session. Yeah, I, I'm That's, a nurse. I would, I'm a nurse. I'm not yeah. working in the hospitals now, but I was just at the Capitol uh, the other day and I'll be there again tomorrow, uh, you know, pushing and showing support for um, mm-hmm. legislation around staffing. But there, there, awesome. there were also people there pushing for the public option piece, including immigrants in, uh, uh, in legislation around health care and all that stuff. So we, we made a good, uh, I guess, I think there was three main groups. 
the nurses and the public option. We made a good trifecta of uh, of uh, people uh, chanting mm-hmm. in, uh, in the Capitol uh, corridors. Sorry, continue. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sure we could, uh, you know, have uh, a whole separate <laughs> right. episode about about healthcare. I, I used should, to work, yeah. you know, really locally um, here in the in the Twin Cities, predominantly with, um, you know, like technician level professionals, lab, phlebotomy, things like that. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's a crazy time for healthcare across the board. It would be nice um, if it was a little less crazy, and I really hope that you know, things that might get passed here could address, at least begin to address that. Right. And and some of that honestly comes because I, I, I think a lot of the people that are involved in in healthcare work, you know, the, the front line, of course, uh, nurses such as yourself are, you know, really, really invested in and they chose those careers because they want to help people, right? Right. I, I think by and large, the vast majority of folks working in hospital administration feel the same. And they're just up against kind of shareholders, the upper echelon of of folks within the system to be able to meet budget demands. And the thing that kind of makes a lot of sense with a public option and you know, allowing more people to buy into healthcare is it stabilizes finances for those healthcare systems, allows them to hire a more adequate level of staff, and you know doesn't prevent as much turnover because they can they can project for the future just like, um, just like the the government can, right? So I, it makes them much more stabilized in in that sense. Um, and you know, I'm sure you probably are familiar with with Aaron Murphy, uh, State Senator Aaron Murphy. I am. Um, yeah, she uh, a fellow nurse herself. She mm-hmm. she introduced that the legislation in this cycle to um, introduce a public option. She really was a, another mentor for me going into politics. She tried to recruit my mom to run for office back in 2014, actually. Mm. Uh, so known her for for quite a while and um, she came out to events that we were hosting in in southwest minnesota around the marshall area we we talked quite extensively about a public option they they were able to hold forums with the nurses association in the area and and that was the ultimate feedback that they got even from folks in you know a ruby red district right um, so it's it's nice to see that that they're finally taking that up. But I mean, it took near, you know, near 10 years uh, of of working at, at the grassroots level uh, pretty aggressively, not to mention all the organizing that's been you know done far before that to, to get it even to the floor. Um, right. And I think the biggest way that we, we can really influence legislators is by getting them personally invested in supporting that legislation. And oftentimes the way you can do that is by uh, standing up and running a progressive campaign. Right. Um, And if it, if it takes uh, forming another party to, to really stand your ground, oftentimes that's what it takes. And it's a little different in the U.S., uh, but luckily we're we're set up here in Minnesota to to really give it a go. So right, I mean, I think it creates that you know some would say that that creates that pressure um, that you know even if you're you might not be expecting to as you know as you before mentioned win a campaign 
that you know that does create that uh uh i mean that space but also tells them that those issues are important right those issues that you're running on if you're able to get a significant portion of the vote even if you don't win that those mm-hmm. uh those issues are of concern to folks and i think i'm not exactly clear on the formulation the public options a good one but um you know healthcare obviously i think is you know is a huge thing because it affects everyone which is why i always think that you know staffing in the hospital should be a big um should be a big mm-hmm. piece of uh uh of this discussion it should be something that's on people's minds because it's not just nurses right everybody's going to be a patient mm-hmm. somewhere at some point you know every you know every politician oh, exactly. every every person in the community uh you know even young people you know even if they feel like they're healthy now at some point they're going to be a patient of some uh form unfortunately you know, some things are going in the wrong direction. We see, um, you know, on top of the instability in healthcare, a lot of the uh, support that came through the COVID period, um, you know, is being rolled back instead of being kept in mm-hmm. place uh, as a, you know, as a permanent piece. So on top of that, that's also kind of, I think, going to, we're going to see more instability uh, in the right. uh, healthcare realm. And so again, that just creates uh, even more of a space to bring up uh, these issues. Yeah. Do you want to touch on, uh, are there other, a few other issues that, uh, that came up when you were, uh, you were talking to folks in past campaigns that were, um, that were important to them or something that we could use to, uh, uh, to, to build some unity and, uh, momentum. Um, so, so going back into, to the philosophy and, and the political aspects, I know we, we chatted at, at length a bit there about, um, a public option for, for Medicare, um, and, really the takeaway takeaway from that is it it takes a long time even advocating from a a very very small grassroots level to um on a very fairly disorganized fashion across uh, across the state you know it's a, a truly dis, a truly grassroots issue uh, to begin with right uh, it still takes nearly a decade to to get that even introduced as a concept statewide um, and, and a significant shift in the in the political environment, uh, which which should be noted too. So, um, right. the the other issues that that we've seen, of course, are um, uh, a transition to to green energy. Um, I think that's often overlooked as an opportunity for for support among you know uh some right-leaning people and right. uh you know a lot of disaffected rural communities as well um, when we look at a at a macro level a lot of our um our a lot of our waste uh environmental pollution has been outsourced to to rural and ex-urban communities mm-hmm. um if you remember the the northern metals plant uh, up in in North Minneapolis that uh, was uh, shut down uh, a few years ago after a lot of campaigning by the local cam- uh, community, that didn't go away. Right. They they moved it about an hour and a half west of the of the Twin Cities, and it's mm-hmm. uh, even bigger than it was, and it's it's still affecting people. Right. Um, they're just a bit more disaffected to to engage. So I, I would say engaging around environmental issues, particularly particularly environmental pollution and the rise of factory farming, mm-hmm. is a is a huge thing. And of course, I'm speaking to a lot of of that issue from a from a rural perspective, but it does hit home with a lot of 
um, you know, folks who may vote for a Green Party candidate in a in a presidential election and could be activated by that issue that are already leaning far to the left. Mm-hmm. So I would say that that's another major piece. Um, the the third was um, an, an interesting one, but uh, it, it's one that made a lot of sense after I heard it from just about everybody that I talked to uh was uh child care and elder care oh yeah yeah minnesota has a disproportionately old population um we're we're aging more than than the average within the united states um and we also are lucky enough to have a lot of um young families in Mm. in the state so it's uh it's i i used to hear from from people about minnesota it's a it's a good place to to be born and it's a good place to retire right Uh, so in between uh you gotta figure that out for yourself but (laughs) right uh, that was that was kind of the joke um but really what that's done is is create a lot of stress amongst um, you know, of course, a lot of baby boomers, a lot of uh, Gen X folks who are caring for uh, for their elders, trying to find a place for them to live and you know live out their life with dignity. Right. And particularly the financial support around that. Um, that's something my parents are dealing with right now. My my great aunt never had any kids there. So my my mom is, uh, you know, her primary provider. Um she was on hospice care and then, you know, due to a change in the, in the Medicare uh, guidelines, she was kicked off hospice care. And, mm. and now it's, you know, very difficult to afford all of, you know, her nursing bills. Right. Likewise, we're, we're seeing a, a real dearth of um, childcare options and affordable childcare options uh, statewide. And, and that's not only, you know, making it difficult for, for folks to, to afford someone that's, that's trustworthy and to watch their kids in a safe environment, but it's, uh, you know, also putting a, putting a damper on the economy and, you know, not letting, letting folks live their life to the fullest and, right. you know, pursue their passions. So mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it really, I think those are two other issues that, are you know often spoken about at the local level not necessarily addressed at the highest level because the folks that have the um luxury and financial resources to often be able to run for and win um win office and and maintain office uh don't deal with the same problems that right uh, a lot of people living, uh, you know, in in the middle class, or um, you know, not not as a as an elite member of society, right? Uh, have to deal with. So there's that there's that disconnect. So I, I would say that's the next, uh, you know, yeah, kind of an, third issue. That like you said, I, I mean, it's I an saw. inverse. It's kind of like an inverse bell curve. So you have a lot of, like you said, uh, people on both ends of the spectrum. A lot of people caring for family members. So this is some an area where you know immediate uh remedies immediate support can connect with a lot of uh a lot of folks and something you didn't mention you know the you know that obviously it's mentioned framed a lot as you know people aren't able to participate in the economy but another thing we were just talking about 
you know, they're unable to pol- uh, participate in the political uh, realm. They're unable to participate in the yeah, community. Exactly. They're unable That's to participate point. in political organizations. So, you know, in addition to, um, to what we mentioned, you know, things can move uh, slowly, but also, um, you know, if we actually did have a, a socialist party or a third party that was uh, on par in any way with like the uh, farmer labor party, uh, you know, maybe things could uh, could move a little a little quicker, you know, and if we could get people uh, the support they need again to participate in their communities, hey, even better, you know, then you've got all the, the more people uh, participating in uh, improving uh, and figuring out how we, uh, you know, make Minnesota even better than it already is. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, exactly. Really, and if you, yeah, yeah no, if you ahead. want the process to move quicker, I, I would say don't have me talk. So <laughs> I'm a little long winded. Thank you for <laughs> no, the time. No, you're fine. Nick. But I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's important. You know, it, it can take a long time with these processes, but it also, um, you know, things can move quicker depending on the uh, scenario, and also allowing more people to participate in the uh, in the process definitely helps. Uh, uh, helps things get moving because again, like you said, a lot of the people that are in the, in those rooms making those decisions don't necessarily uh, deal with all the same concerns. So if those people that are dealing directly with these issues are able to participate in the political sphere, both, you know, both electorally and otherwise, then that's going to, um, you know, that's just going to improve uh, the ability to tackle uh, all this stuff that we need to tackle um, from healthcare to childcare, green energy. I think though, I think that was a good that was a good uh, uh, three pieces of the uh, puzzle there. I think those are. I mean, I've been seeing a lot more green energy in rural areas. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, solar and stuff like that. And 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 you know, I think it's you know it's getting cheaper now too. So that's another um, uh, piece yeah. that makes people more a lot more open to um, to bring the green energy. And of course, you know. We're seeing a lot of uh, pollution and things like that, you know, even in these rural areas. And so, yeah. Um, and the know, people who live near folks. wind turbines, uh, the people who live near wind turbines know that uh, they don't cause cancer, right? They right. just know that they uh, bring another uh, check in each month for <laughs> letting okay. them be on their property. Okay. Right. <laughs> but they, yeah, but they know when you have one of those big factory hog farms nearby that uh, the smell is unbearable. Yep. And, that yep. You're and it's shutting down your local operation of- too. Exactly. And you're going to be dealing with like lakes of pig feces for the rest of time or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you speaking with me. And, uh, you know, is there anything else you want to share or plug or recommend or anything before you go? Otherwise, uh, no, I think that's really all I have. I would just uh, encourage folks if they're not already to, to get involved with their local DSA chapter. Thanks so much, Tom. Yeah, thank you, Nick. And that's our special. Thanks for listening. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.